I receive a lot of email when I go too long without reading you a story that say things like, Oh, God, Miet, are you all right? Miet, I was just checking in. Is everything okay with you? That kind of thing. And it makes me wonder if I'm the only person in the world without a crystal ball. And hence, I'm the only one who doesn't know that I'm in grave danger. Now, I really love it when you send me email, but I don't like to see you all so stressed. So, I've done the unmentionable and have created an email list. So, if you want to know as soon as I read a new story, you should go to mietcast.com and give me your email address. And if something terrible does happen to me because of this grave danger that nobody's sharing with me, perhaps I'll teach my dog how to send you a note letting you know that too. Good evening. It's Sunday, the 8th of March, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Three Letters and a Footnote by Horacio Quiroga Sir, I am taking the liberty of sending you these lines, hoping you will be good enough to publish them under your own name. I make this request of you because I am informed that no newspaper would accept these pages if I sign them myself. If you think it wiser, you may alter my impressions by giving them a few masculine touches, which indeed may improve them. My work makes it necessary for me to take the streetcar twice a day, and for five years I have been making the same trip. Sometimes on the return ride I travel in the company of some of my girlfriends, but on the way to work I always go alone. I am twenty years old, tall, not too thin, and not at all dark-complexioned. My mouth is somewhat large, but not pale. My impression is that my eyes are not small. These outward features, which I've estimated modestly, as you have observed, are nevertheless all I need to help me form an opinion of many men, in fact, so many that I'm tempted to say all men. You know also that you men have the habit before you board a streetcar of looking rapidly at its occupants through the windows. In that way you examine all the faces of the women of course since they are the only ones that have any interest for you. After that little ceremony you enter and sit down. Very well then, as soon as a man leaves the sidewalk, walks over to the car and looks inside, I know perfectly what sort of fellow he is, and I never make a mistake. I know if he is serious, or if he merely intends to invest ten cents of his fare in finding an easy pick-up. I quickly distinguish between those who like to ride at their ease and those who prefer less room at the side of some girl. When the place beside me is unoccupied, I recognise accurately, according to the glance through the window, which men are indifferent and will sit down anywhere, which are only half interested and will turn their heads in order to give us the once-over slowly, 
after they have sat down. And finally, which are the enterprising fellows who will pass by seven empty places so as to perch uncomfortably at my side, way back in the rear of the vehicle? Presumably, these fellows are the most interesting. Quite contrary to the regular habit of girls who travel alone, instead of getting up and offering the inside place to the newcomer, I simply move over toward the window to leave plenty of room for the enterprising arrival. Plenty of room. That's a meaningless phrase. Never will the three quarters of a bench abandoned by a girl to her neighbour be sufficient. After moving and shifting at will, he seems suddenly overcome by a surprising motionless, to the point where he seems paralysed. But that is mere appearance, for if anyone watches with suspicion this lack of movement, he will note that the body of the gentleman imperceptibly, and with a slyness that does honour to his absent-minded look, is slipping little by little down an imaginary inclined plane toward the window where the girl happens to be. Although he isn't looking at her and apparently has no interest in her at all. That's the way such men are. One could swear that they're thinking about the moon. However, all this time, the right foot or the left continues slipping delicately down the aforementioned plane. I'll admit that while this is going on, I'm very far from being bored. With a mere glance as I shift toward the window, I have taken the measure of my gallant. I know whether he is a spirited fellow who yields to his first impulse, or whether he is really someone brazen enough to give me cause for a little worry. I know whether he is a courteous young man or just a vulgar one, whether a hardened criminal or a tender pickpocket, whether he is really a seductive Beau Brummel, the seduisant and not the seducteur of the French, or a mere petty martyr. At first, it might seem that only one kind of man would perform the act of letting his foot slip slyly over while his face wears a hypocritical mask, namely the thief. However, that is not so, and there isn't a girl that hasn't made this observation. For each different type, she must have ready a special defence. But very often especially if the man is quite young or poorly dressed. He is likely to be a pickpocket. The tactics followed by the man never vary. First of all, the sudden rigidity and the air of thinking about the moon. The next step is a fleeting glimpse at how a person, which seems to linger slightly over the face, but whose sole purpose is to estimate the distance that intervenes between his foot and ours. This information acquired, now the conquest begins.
I think there are few things funnier than that manoeuvre you men execute. When you move your foot along in gradual shifts of toe and heel alternately. Obviously, you men can't see the joke. But this pretty cat and mouse game played with a size 11 shoe at one end and at the other up above near the roof, a simpering idiotic face, doubtless because of emotion. Bears no comparison so far as absurdity is concerned with anything else you men do. I said before that I was not bored with these performances, and my entertainment is based upon the following fact. From the moment the charmer has calculated with perfect precision the distance he has to cover with his foot, he rarely lets his gaze wander down again. He is certain of his measurement, and he has no desire to put us on our guard by repeated glances. You will clearly realise that the attraction for him lies in making contact and not in merely looking. Very well then. When this amiable neighbour has gone about halfway, I start the same manoeuvre that he is executing, and I do it with equal slyness and the same semblance of absent-minded preoccupation with, let us say, my doll. Only the movement of my foot is away from his not much, a few inches are enough. It's a treat to behold, presently, my neighbour's surprise when, upon arriving finally at the calculated spot, he contacts absolutely nothing. Nothing. His size 11 shoe is entirely alone. This is too much for him. First, he takes a look at the floor. And then at my face, my thought is still wandering a thousand leagues away, playing with my doll. But the fellow begins to understand. Fifteen out of seventeen times, I mention these figures after long experience, the annoying gentleman gives up the enterprise. In the two remaining cases, I am forced to resort to a warning look. It isn't necessary for this to indicate by its expression a feeling of insult, of contempt, or anger. It is enough to make a movement of the head in his direction, toward him but without looking straight at him. In these cases it is better always to avoid crossing glances with a man who by chance has been really and deeply attracted to us. There may be in any pickpocket the makings of a dangerous thief. This fact is well known to the cashiers who guard large amounts of money, and also to young women, not thin, not dark, with mouths not little and eyes not small, as is the case with yours truly, M.R. Dear Miss, Deeply grateful for your kindness. I'll sign my name with much pleasure to the article on your impressions, as you request. Nevertheless, it would interest me very much, and purely as your collaborator, to know your answer to the following questions. Aside from the seventeen concrete cases you mention, 
Haven't you ever felt the slightest attraction towards some neighbour, tall or short, blonde or dark, stout or lean? Haven't you ever felt the vaguest temptation to yield, ever so vague, which may be the withdrawing of your own foot, disagreeable and troublesome? H.Q. Sir, to be frank, yes. Once in my life, I felt that temptation to yield to someone, or more accurately, that lack of energy in my foot to which you refer. That person was you. But you didn't have the sense to take advantage of it. M. R. Hey, Mary Claire, that's the end.